Great. So welcome to our message on the book of Daniel. And this one is called Living Amongst Fools. Um, So the book of Daniel is entering into our larger series called This Is Our Story. And we've been sort of going through from Genesis and then on, um, thinking about where are we shaped? How are we shaped by this story? What do we need to know? Um, What do we want our kids to know, our community to know? If you can only know a handful of things about the story of the people of God, um, the story of who God is in this world and who God's calling us to be, what would we want to make sure that we knew? And one of the things that I think oftentimes, every time I send my littlest one um, to preschool or I allow my oldest one to go to far reaches of of the world and live um, in totally other countries with different cultures and languages and um, very few uh, Christians. She's an extreme minority almost wherever she goes just by the nature of who she is um, and and also by her faith practice. Um, And so as I send both out into into this world, I recognize that oftentimes I'm having to say things like, did you see how that kid behaved when that toy was taken from them? And then my little will look at me and go, yeah, I'm like, don't do that. (laughs) We are not going, we are not animals. We are not going to, we are not going, we might live among fools, but we will not be a fool. And so we'll have to have this conversation of um, how do we live and prepare to live in a world that isn't always looking or acting or shaped the way that we would hope Um, our children or ourselves would be in these spheres of influence, right? Have you ever found that you've hung out with a friend, and by the end of that time, that week, or the two weeks that you've hung out, all of a sudden you have picked up some of their mannerisms, or you've picked up some of their words, their phrasing? It's so quick and easy to happen. And the book of Daniel is written into an experience where the people of God, the Israelites— particularly the Judahites, those people of God living in Judah, because the northern kingdom, which took the name Israel, and I realize that's very confusing, just trust me, has already been exiled in 722 BCE. But now in 586 BCE, the southern kingdom, Judah, all of it sort of accompanying Israel, has been exiled to Babylon. And the book of Daniel is written then to this experience. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate about exactly when the book of Daniel is written, and um, I, I would lean more towards it having a date closer to just before the time of Jesus. Um, however, um, for, for a whole bunch of reasons, and that's another fun debate we can get into, but just for today, let's let the book of Daniel sit into the narrative, which is this is what God is talking, how God is talking to his people about how to live when they have been removed from their homeland. Now, a lot of us would recognize that if you've been in church at any point in your life, um, you probably associate the book of Daniel with two primary stories, right? Daniel in the lion's den, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and we never remember their actual Hebrew names. That's just their Babylonian names given. But their real names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right? Um, so when we read this story, I remember even hearing children's songs about the fiery furnace growing up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To go, or and then people always made fun of how to say the words. Like, is that to bed we go? How do we say all the the words? People would try to figure out their names. Those are the two stories that do two of the stories that appear in this. But there are other stories as well. And I think the book of Daniel is trying to tell us more than just a miraculous saving from lions and from fire. So as we've noted, then Israel 
Judah, the southern kingdom, has been removed from their land here in Jerusalem, and they are being taken across through the Fertile Crescent down towards Babylon. And in Babylon, then, they are experiencing, moving from the devastation and destruction of their own house of God in Jerusalem, weeping along the road as they've all been taken captive and taken away, the best of the best first, the leaders and the priests and Daniel and his friends, um, coming and then being taken into this incredibly impressive sort of wonder of the world, Babylon, where the goddess Ishtar is worshipped, where a multiplicity of gods and goddesses are worshipped, where it would have to be at least a question in your mind as you walked from really much more of a quieter, uh, more simple existence, even when before the temple was destroyed, the first temple was destroyed, um, from that type of lifestyle into something that feels a little bit like this giant metropolis, right? This, this amazing, I don't know if it's Vegas or New York or wherever it is, but the Israelites, as they're walking and they're leaving the house where God placed his name and they're watching the destruction of that, they're watching the loss of their kingdom just all go away and then they see themselves being taken as slaves, taken in captivity and gone. They have to be asking the question, where is God? Is God still here? Is God still present? Is God still alive? Were we believing a lie the whole time? Did we make the gods mad? Did we make God mad? You know, at, prior to this, the prophets had been railing against the Judahites and the Israelites both and saying, listen, you are worshiping God, yod heh vav heh and you're also worshiping Asherah. How can you do these two things? Well, was that what made God mad? What could it have been? The prophets have been railing against the lack of mercy and justice and compassion, the complete disobedience of God's people to care for the orphan, for the widow, for the foreigner among them. And prophet after prophet unsuccessfully went and said, you must stop what you're doing, and if you don't, the land will vomit you out just like it did the people before you. And then again and again, it sounds and seems as if very few people are able to hear. Very few people have ears to hear. And now we see the full destruction of God's house and the removal of God's people. Well, where is God in this? And how do we find a way through in the midst of this chaos? Particularly in the book of Esther, and this is what we're going to be discussing next week in part, you know that the word of, the name of God does not appear anywhere in the book of Esther. Not one point. And so the rabbis would say, ah, yes, but God is between the lines. God is hidden but present. God's in the white spaces between the black letters, right? That God is still present there, but God is hidden. And that's part of the story of Esther, that everything is hidden. Everyone's not quite what they seem to be. And most of all, God is hidden because we can't even see God's name. Where is God? Esther also occurs, that book occurs in Babylon. It occurs in the midst of a crazy rule and reign. Is God here? Is God present? Is God still alive? Is God still at work in this world? So who are we when the house of God is destroyed? Is God still alive and true or real? And who do we follow when our leaders are gone? And how do we live when we live far away from home, from our own people, our own language, our own food, our own faith? How do we live when we're so far from home? And one of the things I keep telling my daughter 
I don't care what that other kid does. You do you, right? This is who we are. We are kind. We are loving. We will, and we have this big thing we say every morning, like, I can love God. I can love my neighbor. I can love my enemy. I can be a helper. I can be kind. I can be strong. I can be courageous. I can make mistakes. I can try again. We do this whole thing every morning. She's like, why do we have to say this every morning? Like, so you remember who you are when I'm not with you. We say, Jesus is with me. We've got this, right? And then we have a thing we say for her name at the end. It's, it's more involved. It's very, it's very impressive. Um, but most of all, like, you know, I, I want her to remember who she is when she's not at home, when she's not with me, when she's not amongst even necessarily the people of her own faith. Who are you? Who are you called to be in this moment? How are we to act even when we can't find or see anything familiar on the landscape. I ha- I'll be honest, this week with the, the one more, again, with a shooting, whether it's a school or a concert or a church or whatever it is, I wasn't feeling any of this. I, up, up almost to the moment, right? I was like, really, can we just sit in a room and weep and cry and moan and wail and freak out about all the decisions we have to make as people who love one another. Like, how do we do this? Do, we, do I send my kid to school? Do I not send my kid to school? I guess we homeschool forever. Is that just the plan now, right? And, and all of the teachers in our midst, in this room, whom I deeply love, you didn't sign up to be first responders. You signed up to be teachers. You didn't sign up to say, I can't wait to figure out how to shield children in my classroom from a gunman. And I get so angry that any of our thought process is taken up by this type of conversation. I get so frustrated that we've moved so far away from even thou shalt not kill. That seems pretty clear and not of debate. And, and in all of those moments, this first line of who are we when the house of God is destroyed kept ringing for me because this week I felt like I just, I don't know what to do anymore and I, I'm so angry and I can't imagine being one of those students or one of those teachers or one of those parents. I cannot imagine having earlier in the week thought, what will we do on the long weekend? And then instead find yourself preparing for a funeral. I can't fathom making that, walking in that as, as a parent. I just can't. As a human being, I cannot. It's just beyond my understanding. And part of my theology is that you know, when we see where is the house of God, you see the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. It was destroyed ultimately and finally in 70 AD CE and then again 135 CE, like completely everything gone at that point. And, and so our theology in the New Testament and Christian texts, it talks about how all y'all are the house of the Holy Spirit. All y'all are the temple. All of us together, we walk in this world and we carry with us the presence of God. And so when we see someone healed, when we see miracles happen, when we see love and compassion and care for the stranger or the orphan or the widow, when all of that happens, we, this is, where is the house of God? Where can we see? It's here. It's amongst us. And this week I felt like in small, some part, like that house was destroyed. These kids that are to carry the presence of God in this world, whether or not they knew it. They're still made in the image of God, and they still have that calling. That what do I do when some part of that house has been destroyed? 
Where do I go? Well, the book of Daniel wrestles with these questions. And one of the first things we have is, is Daniel and his friends. Daniel, by the way, I am named from, by, after the book of Daniel, Danielle. And I grew up knowing that my name meant God is my judge. So Daniel walks through this book. Now, you can th- think that starts harsh, but it helped a lot, actually. I was like, I should be careful here because there is a higher authority. Um, and so when I walk through this book, I see Daniel living a life and keeping a name that reminds him that his parents named him, that God is his ultimate judge, his ultimate authority. So when he gets in these places, he has a name that in Hebrew is like, Daniel. Ah, okay. So when he gets there, they go to this foreign land. Now, what are the things that would be um, important identifiers for a good, obedient Jewish boy? Not just the one you're thinking of. How about no pork, no shellfish, right? So you have some dietary restrictions. You have um, requirements, regulations of that. You also have, as an obedient Jewish person, as an obedient Judean Jewish person in this time, you would want to be um, keeping Shabbat, all of these things. So Daniel and his friends find themselves, really they're like wise, they get favor right away, and they're in the king's palace, and they're like, let's beef these guys up. Like, we're going to give them the best food, we're going to give them all of this stuff. And Daniel and his friends are like, no, 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 Um, could we just have veggies, please? which is a really quick and easy way to keep kosher, by the way, right? So then you don't have to ask about what, how was the animal killed, even if it was the right kind of animal that you could eat. You just go, I'm just going straight to vegetarian. So we just are going to keep kosher, and we will keep, we will be vegetarians. And the, if you remember the story, the, the aide, the, the helper of the king is like, no, because you're going to fade away, and it's going to be bad. And then they come back, and it's like, oh, no, you guys look really good eating just veggies, which is why then we as Christians later just come up with, like, the Daniel plan and um, decide to write books about it and market it. And and essentially, it's just no wine, eat veggies. That's it. But I noticed here they've actually included some meats. I'm like, that's not a thing. That would not be in the book of Daniel. So Daniel remembers who he is, what he can eat, what's safe, what, what's required of him in, the, in his own ethnic identifier as a person of God, right? The next story that we'll run into is that crazy story where Nebuchadnezzar decides, I am so amazing and awesome, and I want this giant gold statue of myself that's going to look great, and it's going to glint, and everyone's going to love it, and you all have to bow down and declare that I am God. So now we're not just going to be pressed with, with a, a, par, a problem of, like, can you keep your dietary laws and your ethnic identifiers and the things that keep yourselves pure? But now the next question is, will you also keep your theology right? Are you going to be able to keep yourself from worshiping idols in this world? What idol are we so tempted to fall down at to the exclusion of the commandments of God? In that moment, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, we're not going to bow, right? We're not going to do it. And the king's like, well, then I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they're like, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, here you have Daniel's three friends— Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, it's called by the names that their parents named them. And they, in that space, are saying, we're not going to bow. 
Now, we recognize that that is likely our death sentence, but we don't need to defend ourselves against you. Again, this idea that there's this higher authority. And I like how they've already worked out the problem. Like, hey, maybe we get saved, maybe we don't get saved, but we're not bowing. Now, if this book of Daniel is written more around the time of the book of Maccabees, for those of you familiar with any of the books um, that can be found in the middle of your Catholic Bibles, then at that point you also recognize that in this is this idea that imperial forces can come on in and can force you to do the things that God has explicitly and expressly told you not to do. And yet, as the mother in Maccabees learns or or declares, I would rather have you lost in this world than not have you in the world to come. She believes very firmly in the resurrection and encourages her sons to not eat the pork that is being forced on them under King Antiochus, but instead to choose death because she believes so deeply in resurrection. And this story here, also with these three young men, with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, indicates that they have some longer view than just this moment. They're not just trying to stay alive while they are exiled. They're remembering who they are and who the God is that they serve. Now, long at, not long after that moment, then, the fiery furnace is times seven, and they toss the three guys in, and lo and behold, they look in, and there's a fourth guy dancing with them inside, pretty much, and, um, and then we will have all those stories. Well, is, who is that? It must be the Son of God. Could it be? And we, it doesn't say exactly, but it's something amazing. It's something miraculous. It is an incredible moment where God saves them and is with them in the fiery furnace. This is an important point Daniel wants to make, that when you are far off, when you are scared, when you're being pressured to do the wrong thing, God will be with you, and it may or may not turn out the way you want it, but God will be with you, and the long view is in your favor. They come out of the fire. They don't even smell like fire, which for anyone who's been like around a barbecue or a fire pit is definitely the miracle, right? And then they, they survive that moment. The next story that's so well known, again, is this Daniel in the lion's den. Now we have this crazy uh, king again, and he says, hey, nobody should pray to me. Nobody should pray to anyone except to me. Like, I'm the only one they should pray to. And they, the people that don't like Daniel and are jealous of him sort of set him up against this. And at this moment, then, we have uh, Daniel's like, I'm still going to pray. So he prays, and they spy on him, and they go tell the king, oh, Daniel's prayed to you, so you have to do the thing you said, which is throw him into the lion's den. The king is heartbroken. He doesn't want to throw Daniel into the lion's den, but here's the foolish land we live in. Apparently, a king can't just change his mind. And we'll see this all in the book of Esther, too, right? Constantly, he's like, well, if only I... Oh, no, I guess we're just all drunk and partying and we're just idiots. I mean, the whole book of Esther starts with drinking, ends with drinking. Everyone is dumb. And the government is so broken and dysfunctional that they make one law. They can't change it. The king can't go back and forth. I mean, it's just, it's all madness. And so at this point, then we have that same thing. A dumb governing system. The king is a mess. He's like, I wish I could change it, but I'm just the king. I guess I can't change the law I just wrote yesterday. So now he has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And as Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den for being faithful to his God, God shows up again and protects Daniel from the lions. Now at this point, all of us can say, well, that just sounds really nice and convenient, but I 
I don't know that I would want to take any of those chances, right? Like, I would just go, okay, fine, I'll pray when they're not looking, or, um, you know, I'll just, please, apologies, God, I'm not going to do, like, we'll find out all the other reasons. But just about 10, well, 13 years ago, I read this story. There was a girl in Ethiopia who'd been kidnapped, a 12-year-old girl. And she was kidnapped by four men on her way home from school in early June. This is from the BBC. And um, a week later, the kidnappers were moving her with police in pursuit when three lions encountered the group and chased the men off. The lions stayed with the girl without harming her before departing as police, police searching for her came near. So they told that they found the girl alive, but shocked and terrified, sure. Um, they stood guard, the lions stood guard until we found her, and then they just left her like a gift and went back into the forest. The policemen, they, they, there are some people that doubt the credibility of the story. Like, well, they're probably just preparing to eat her. And then the other people, you know, got quiet, like they scared them off. And lion attacks apparently quite popular in this particular area. But the girl told the police that she had been beaten by her kidnappers, but no harm was done to her by the lions. And that a wildlife expert said the lions may have spared the girl from, because her crying might have sounded like the mewing sound from a lion club. Everyone thinks this is some kind of miracle because normally the lions would have attacked the people. The four men get caught by the police. When I read this story, I was like, oh, it sounds familiar. And why is it, why am I so quick in my rational scientific world to say at this point, no way, that's just a nice story and then open up the BBC and go, oh, God sent lions to chase off kidnappers, and then the lions protected a girl. And there were other stories about it at this time. The book of Daniel continues in stories about a king sort of becoming beast-like when demanding that he take on the place of God, that if we're going to worship him in the image of God, all of these people um, just becoming less and less made in the image of God, like we've talked about from Genesis. All of us who are faithful to God, who are keeping all of God's commands, we are remaining more in the image of God. The book of Daniel continues in all this way, and there's some important dreams and some visions and prophecies. But ultimately, what we find from the book of Daniel and the book of Esther, both accounts of Israelites, of the people of God, Judahites, living in Babylon in exile, we find out that the Babylonians are nuts, that their laws are ridiculous, that their leaders are capricious and arrogant, that they have a knee-jerk reaction of rejection towards the people of God. So it's a hostile work environment, let's just say, for Daniel and his friends, and later on for Esther. So what do we do when we're surrounded by idiots, by drunkards and fools in power? What do we do? How do you behave in any setting, whether it's at work? Anyone ever had a boss that's just a fool? And you have to, I mean, this is part of what the book of Daniel wants you to believe, that the Babylonians are nuts. The, the book of Esther wants you to understand that their laws don't make any sense. Whether or not you agree that they are or are not nuts. That's what these books are trying to set you up for. Like, how do we live and how are we faithful even when we're in these crazy places? What do we do? Should we give up? Should we lose all faith? Should we believe that no, never, at no point did God ever actually build that house and call God's people to this? Should we hide? Should we compromise? Well, the book of Daniel and Esther, they answer this question in these books. You remain faithful. You get brave. You get with friends, you trust even unto death, and you double down on what you know to be true. Because 
Daniel and his friends and Esther, they all have to live in a place where they are angry with leaders, where they are frustrated with the way that the kingdom is working, where they are unto death themselves. I mean, the number of people, we can talk very much about how here in America, we are so privileged and blessed that we do not really, really experience persecution, not like people who are in other parts of the world. Christians now, Christian minorities in other parts of the world are now making up the number one persecuted faith group. What do they do? How do they live in all of those different settings when their very lives are being threatened for their faith? And the book of Daniel gives us hope. The book of Daniel has that long view. Even in the midst of the chaos, the book of Daniel is like, you still stay faithful. You still do you. You don't be like the other nations. You do you even when you live amongst them. Ezekiel even has that beautiful vision of God's presence leaving the house of God, leaving the temple in Jerusalem. But as it leaves, God's presence then goes with them by the banks of the river in Babylon. So the Israelites now know that it's not just that they are in exile, which exile equals death, but that God will go with them into these moments. They are not alone. So you remain faithful. You're not alone. You get brave. It's going to be difficult. It will be tough. You get with friends. You come to church. You find out and you listen to a story of how God saved someone, rescued someone, even that week, from the boss that gets upset because of the way in which you did one thing or the other, from the spouse or the friend or whatever it is, the teacher, the classmate, the bullying situation, whatever it is that we're all managing, you trust. Ask for help. Get with friends. Remain faithful. And ultimately, in those dark places, look for God between the lines. Because sometimes it can seem like God's name is not being uttered and that God is hidden in the midst of that circumstance. But God is there. God is present. I have a placard on the wall in my home. It says, bidden or not, God is here. I don't have to ask God to be present. God is here. There is no place where God is not. Read Psalm 139. God is with us always. Now that does not mean that everything always turns out quite right. Now the book of Daniel is very rosy, right? Like, great, hand me the furnace. Like if I I knew I was coming right back out of that thing, I'd go, see ya, and just march right in, right? Same with the lions, just going in. There's plenty of stories, and we can all name them, where the story doesn't end right. It doesn't end the way we want it to. But even in those moments, the books of Daniel and the book of Esther want to tell us that God's kingdom and God's kingship will endure. We're not the main characters of the story. This story is not about me. It's not about what happens in my little place. I'm sure there were plenty of Judahites and Israelites as they were taken into captive, whether it's by the Assyrians or or the Egyptians or the Babylonians and all the other people that took them into captive all the number of times. I'm sure there are many of them, most of them, whose story did not end up the way that we would want to write it down in the book of Daniel. But there were others where no matter what, they were still remaining faithful. And the circumstances that are here on this earth don't indicate the kingship and the rulership of God in our lives or in this world at large. That's what the book of Daniel wants you to know. That's what I want to tell my kids. You do you. 
Stay faithful to what God's commanded you to do. It won't be easy. It'll be difficult. It might not even turn out the way that you want it to. But you know who you are. You know who you are. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. And you are called to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we bless you, Lord, um, for hope even in the midst of difficult weeks. God, we bless you that we are not the beginning or the middle or the end of these stories, but that you are. And we ask, Lord, that as we are frustrated oftentimes or, or in pain or in difficult circumstances at work or in our families or at schools, wherever we might be, God, we pray that you would encourage us and give us hope to be the people that you've called us to be. Teach us, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes that see where you would have us be at work in this world. In your name, amen.